Um, I need the word of God this morning, okay? Um, I need life in my soul. I need to hear the truth of the gospel. I need to find hope because uh, I, I see a lot of brokenness and darkness in our world today. I want to point out one thing. There's so much brokenness and darkness in our world today. But I do want to point out one thing. Um, As the church, the people of God, um, that we do need to pray for. Um, We we, we have prayed for for COVID and and we will continue to pray for that. But uh, today something is is on my heart. And and that's the church in Afghanistan today, this morning. the, the Taliban is moving through the country, retaking territory and cities. And for the past 20 years, God has been moving in this nation. We have sent missionaries from the International Mission Board who have been working in this country, uh, a war-torn country, for the last 20 years. And uh, last night, a reporter from World Magazine reported that the house church leaders had been sent a letter by the Taliban that they know where they are and what they are doing. And the house church's leader's response was, we aren't going anywhere. And I I do want us as a church to um, realize that Christians all over the world are being persecuted, but this is an intense persecution um, that will go on these next few days and months as uh, we pray for the church in Afghanistan. So will you join me in praying for the church in Afghanistan um, this morning? Father, we come before you as the people of God, and we thank you that we have the freedoms to worship our God freely in this country. Lord, we thank you for the men and women who have fought and died for the freedoms that we have to gather today. And uh, Lord, we just pray for our brothers and sisters in the country of Afghanistan who, um, who may not have that freedom much longer. And uh, Lord, we pray for, for them to be able to stand upon the truth of the gospel and the word of God. And, and Father, we ask that um, you would see them and that you would be with them, that you would give them strength and by, um, Father, their voice of truth and their voice to stand upon the truth that many, many Muslims would come to believe upon the faith of Christ Jesus and salvation is through Christ alone. Lord, we ask that um, as we walk through all of this COVID and things in our country that we will be reminded um, of what you're doing throughout the world and what you will do through your kingdom pursuing all nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Praise the Lord, we had two people from our congregation in the hospital and they are no longer there. Um, Praise God for that. And uh, we are gonna continue to pray for them and our our people as we go forward. Uh, There is a lot to pray for. But uh, this morning we turn to... um, the second half of Acts, um, this series we've called The Power of God, uh, a very important passage of scripture um, in Acts chapter 15. If you recall where we are in the book of Acts, it's after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He has um, empowered his disciples with the Great Commission and now he's leaving them, but he's not leaving them on their own. 
He's giving them the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, 8 tells us that. And up until this point in the story of the book of Acts, it's about the church, the people of God, the movement of God amongst the nations. And we have, we have seen the movement of God in Jerusalem. We've seen the movement of God in Judea and Samaria. And we're beginning to see this movement to the ends of the earth through Paul and 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 Barnabas to the Gentiles. That's what's happened right here is is the Gentiles are now coming to faith in Christ. These Gentiles who are called the outsiders, those who are unclean, and in some circles, those who are uncircumcised. And the church, the people of God, are trying to figure out what do we do with these people who have been outside of the people of God and now we are proclaiming this salvation through faith by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. What do we do with these Gentiles? Their churches, the need to obey the moral and ceremonial laws given by Moses. And it comes to a head right here in Acts chapter 15. The title of this sermon is The Freedom in the Spirit. Paul and Barnabas have just finished their first missionary journey. They've returned to Antioch and celebrated all that God did. And we pick up in Acts chapter 15. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word. We believe that this is the authority and the word of God. Inspired by the spirit to give life. And we believe that this is what we have. And all that we need to understand who God is and what he has done. So Acts chapter 15 verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, that's, that's what uh, me and my wife call it when we, when we uh, have our kids around, we uh, debate, this is a debate Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after they had had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. That by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them 
by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. You can be seated. Let us pray. Father, we ask you this morning as we uh, look at this very theological and important passage of scripture, important in the history of the church and moving forward, that we would not just walk through or overlook what you are speaking to us in our hearts and our minds about the truth of the gospel is by faith that we are saved by grace in which you have given us in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to not forget the simple truths of the gospel that we may be able to obey that which you've called us to, to live a life worthy of the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you noticed Mauricio walking around the halls this morning. He had an Adam Thielen Minnesota Vikings jersey on. He's a Minnesota Vikings jersey. He's a Minnesota Vikings fan, and it is almost football season. He's preaching in a uh, in a football um, jersey this morning. I, I kind of looked at him like. Uh, Maybe I should get one of those and put one on. But I did not this morning, so you can be grateful for that. But if, if you haven't thrown a pigskin in a while, a football in a while, it might be time to dust it out uh, from your old bag, take it out, grab the laces, and throw that because football season is among us. Now, when I was growing up, football was the, the game that me and my cousins played. So I had... Uh, me and my brother, who's two years younger, and our cousins were almost exactly the same age. So you can know how intense the games were in the backyard, or in this case, the front yard. Uh, they lived in Norman, and so we would come down, we would fly in from Portland or uh, Connecticut, and we would uh, come and hang out with them for a couple weeks in the fall. Just when the weather was perfect, a bit crisp, and the leaves are falling, you know that it's time for football. The problem was, is that two on two is not uh, that great. Um, Two versus two, you make a move, you make a juke move, or you, you make a play, and it's a touchdown almost every play. So, one day, we decided that we needed to have a big game. That day was the day that we got a football tee. Uh, if you know what a football tee, it's a little orange piece of plastic that you kick the ball off of. You set the ball on the, on the ground and you kick the ball off. And we had just gotten this new tee. And we wanted to have the kickoff. Because usually when we play, we wouldn't do much of a kickoff. We'd just set the ball down and, and go towards the end zone. But in this day... We wanted the neighborhood to come out, and the neighborhood did, and it was 20-plus kids, and, and after we had picked our teams and uh, the stakes were high, it was time for the kickoff, and I said, 
I'm going to kick off. To which my cousin said, no, it's my tea. I said, I gave you the tea. So we began a debate in which ended up him slugging me in the right eye and me getting a black eye. He popped me a good one. And we were more like brothers, so that was just kind of the way that we made sure that things happened. But at the end of the day, the game did not happen. Uh, There was no kickoff. We were debating over a tee and kicking off the tee and didn't get to play the game. There are things to fight over. There are things not to fight over. But when the gospel is at stake, this is where the church ought to rise up and debate. The reformer Martin Luther was not fighting over small group philosophy or the format of the bulletin when he nailed the 99 thesis on the door of the Wittenberg church. He was after the purity of the gospel. He contended for the truth that people are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The church had gone way off of the track of the truth of the gospel. There are a lot of things in the church that are negotiables and differences of opinion, but one that is non-negotiable is what is described in verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. You see, we church, we must stand upon the truth of the gospel We must not forget upon why we are saved, how we are saved, and how people come to faith in Christ. We must not waver, water, or warp this beautiful message of the gospel of grace. In a world that wants to add or subtract to this gospel, it is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It is not Jesus plus baptism. It is not Jesus plus circumcision. It is not Jesus plus any works that saves. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Look at what happens in verse 1. Some men came down from Judea, the area around Jerusalem, and were teaching the brothers. And this is, they're teaching this in Antioch. Amongst the Gentile Christians. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And this is the contention that they come to Jerusalem. Some are saying you must be circumcised to be saved. And thus they only had women and children attending their new membership classes. Men are, are like, I'll pass on that. Um, and some are saying, no, it is by the grace of God. We're not requiring anything extra 
for salvation. It's an interesting passage, one that um, gives a lot of understanding of the early church and the Jew and the Gentile integration and becoming one church. Look at verse 7 with me. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck? of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will this is point number one this morning place no stumbling blocks in the path of the gospel why are you putting or why are you placing this yoke on the neck of the disciples if if you place yourself at this time and this date you recognize the weight of this can you imagine this meeting going a different way um imagine the reformation never happening martin luther never posting the thesis on the door You see, because God's grace is the launching point of every believer. It is is that which changes our heart and our direction in which we live. We are riveted and gripped by the grace of God that he has bestowed upon us that we actually desire to live in obedience to Christ. You think about this. If there is no obedience to Christ, how are then we led by the Spirit of the living God? But this debate hinges on, on the thought that these Christians who are coming to Christ through faith in Christ must also be circumcised. But it doesn't just have to deal with circumcision. It has to deal with all 613 laws of the Old Testament. Paul and Barnabas talk about how the Lord is moving among the Gentiles and they are rejoicing. Some say that they they have to obey the laws of Moses after they are coming to faith in Christ. And Peter stands up and says, whoa. Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. You remember in chapter 10 the story of Cornelius. It's amazing 
how Acts links together these stories. In chapter 15, you must understand chapter 10 of Cornelius. The whole vision that God gives to Peter and he orchestrates this meeting with this Gentile Cornelius and ends up with his whole family accepting the gospel. Here's the recount in chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, after he shared with this family the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Notice in that passage something. The circumcised were amazed. The people who were Jews were amazed. That the spirit of the living God would come upon the Gentiles. The spirit has no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Once we're outsiders and yet by the grace of God, through the work of the cross of Christ, these outsiders have now become the people of God in which his spirit dwells. It's, you say, it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? For some to say, to come into the fellowship with us, you, you have to be circumcised. You say, that, 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 that doesn't relate to us today, does it? As a church? You say, well, I mean, people wouldn't, Ask us to do those things. Sometimes we we actually do make it hard for people to come to faith. Unless you look a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way. We we don't put up a sign that says you're not welcome here. But sometimes the feeling is, is that they are not welcome in churches all across America. You see, sometimes the stumbling block for people is not the gospel itself. And that creates an issue and creates a problem. Let's just say, for instance, that it's implied that every Christian wears overalls. Okay? Every Christian is wearing overalls in this room. I know that you are. But let's just say that every Christian is wearing overalls. And somebody walks into your church with no overalls on. The implication is that to be a Christian is to wear overalls. It's not that they believe in Jesus. The issue then becomes the person with genes rather than the gospel of Christ. Personal conviction in and of themselves are not wrong. If you believe that you need to wear overalls, that is great. You wear those overalls with pride. But when we 
take our personal convictions and make them law, that is where we have the issue. Personal convictions overtaking the word of God and what it says. It happens more than we think it does. Alcohol, tattoos, dancing, political parties. These are just to name a few of the issues often discussed within the church. If you are a member of this church, you are affiliated with this political party. That's simply not true. I have a political party that I adhere to. I have a, a set of beliefs in which I stand upon, but that doesn't mean that this person is not a believer in the Lord Jesus. Jesus' disciples were of two different, very different political parties. One was a tax collector And one was a zealot. Very different political parties. And they had probably some really good discussions around the campfire, I'm sure. And we can have discussions around the campfire as well. But it shouldn't dictate someone coming to Christ. Alcohol. The Bible views alcohol in a very negative light. New York Times article said that one in six people have a serious problem. When they drink alcohol, one in six become um, addicted to the substance. One in ten kids grow up in homes with alcohol abuse. It's a problem in our world today. I do not drink alcohol for this reason, a variety of reasons, yet the New or Old Testament never forbids the drinking of it completely. In fact, Jesus drank fermented beverages. So, Is it wrong for us to say to be a member of this church, you have to be someone who doesn't drink alcohol? It's okay to be circumcised. It's okay not to drink alcohol. I would encourage you not to drink alcohol. But we're talking about the stumbling blocks put in the path of the gospel in which the Bible does not put in. We teach the gospel instead of putting barriers around the gospel of Christ in which the Bible does not put in place. Andy Stanley talks about several drifts um, in this text in which churches should avoid. Drifts the early church faces and that every church and every Christian faces these kind of drifts. Number one, he says, there is a drift from a passion for outsiders to pacifying insiders. This is not just this church here in Jerusalem or our church. It's every church. And it's hard. Why? Because I have my own preferences. And I want to make you happy by your preferences too. Right? That's that's good job security, okay? So I, I want to make you happy. I actually have preferences as well. And so we together sometimes have to put aside our preferences to remind ourselves that there are people who are lost, dying, in need to hear the good news message of Christ. When we make changes to the church, we don't change things just to change them or make people upset. We do it to reach a new generation. You see, we, we don't need a sound system. We had a beautiful worship service this morning. 
We don't need the lights. We don't need the sound system. But imagine our church saying, you know what? We really don't need the amplification system in 2021. Nobody would argue that. We don't really need a website in 2021. It's not a gospel issue. But we do it to reach people. And this is everything in the church. Instruments, architecture, dress, philosophies of how to do the church. Come and go. But the word of God stands forever. Okay? Amen? I praise God for this church, Northwest Baptist. Because in the last three years, we have gone through a lot of changes. Okay? And I recognize that. And the sacrifices that have been made in this church for generations that walked through this church have been great. And some years from now, we will look back and we will say, remember those people that came out of the pandemic? Remember those people who loved God's church enough to continue to reach the next generation how they gave of themselves to reach their grandchildren. And we will say thank you for what you did here and remodeling the sanctuary, being able to have a young staff and doing some things that allow us to reach the next generation. I think I'm passionate about this topic because I can remember as a young boy walking into a church one Sunday, never having gone before. Not knowing anything about God, the Bible, or Jesus Christ. And my family walking into the church and saying, I, I want to know God. What is he like? What does he require? What is this gospel? And how do I know him? And loving my family so well that we believed in Jesus and understood the gospel. Not the traditions that have been passed down for years and years and years, but the gospel of Jesus, which is held true throughout my life. The second one Andy Stanley says is that the churches tend to drift from grace to the law. You see, it's the heart of man, even from the beginning, the story of Cain, to try to work to earn God's favor, to try to, to want to, to earn God's favor. Yet it's such a slippery slope. Begins with disappointment and, and ends with despair. It's what we call religion. It's what all the religions of the earth are built upon, practicing works to somehow please their God. And sometimes the church can even believe that, that, that this idea that Christianity is a set of rules to maintain, a checklist to check off, and this is not the case. God loved you so much that he would die on the cross paying the penalty for sinners by his grace and faith in Christ someone is saved 
You see, if, if all we do in our Christian life is try to fix ourselves, we haven't rested in the finished work of the cross of Christ. The gospel does not entail a set of rules, but a heart that loves God and therefore yearns to live for him. It doesn't mean we don't call people to live a godly and upright life. It just means we don't place a yoke around their neck that we ourselves cannot bear. We walk in grace through faith in Christ. Thus, we want and desire to live obedient lives to Christ and to his word. Verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. This is point number two, it's thus. God cleanses our hearts through faith in Jesus. God cleanses our hearts through faith in Jesus. How exactly does God save us? Salvation, and what does God actually save us from? That's, that's a good terminology because when we think about salvation, we think about this rescue. We think about this salvation from what? If you're drowning, you're saved from drowning. We're, we're, we're saved from the wrath and the judgment of God. God actually saves us from himself. God is a holy and righteous judge. He is a good judge. One that must punish sin and sinners. And the separation from a holy and good and righteous God causes God himself to judge or or punish sin. But God in his grace saves us by the provision of the Lamb of God that was slain for us. It is by grace through faith. Galatians 2.15 says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. That's that that terminology, justified. It's a legal term, meaning you are good. Your debt has been paid. You are declared righteous. You are justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Jesus has actually fulfilled the law and we are under grace, not the law. Romans 7, 4 talks about this and it says, Likewise, my brothers, you, have, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. 
For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. What does that mean? That's a lot. It means that Christ has now set us free to live for him. We are not under this burdensome law that we know that if we break the law, we are under the wrath of God. Christ has said you are no longer under that law. You are now under the law of Christ, which is under the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Which gives us the ability now to live for him. You see, this is where the beauty of the gospel is on display. God's wrath poured out upon the righteous son of God. And sinners who are deserving the wrath appeal to God's grace through faith. And this faith is placing their full weight upon the finished work of the cross of Christ. I don't know if you've been to um, a place around uh, Chisholm Creek. It's a little bit up north. But uh, they have this, this place called I Fly. And if you haven't been there, my family uh, went there before our kids went back to school. It was our last hurrah before we went back to school. And you basically get these suits on, you put these goggles on, and you basically jump into this circle cut out with chicken wire on it. And you fly. Literally, you you jump out onto this huge turbine wind tunnel and you fly. That's what iFly is. And, you know, you're standing there on the the outside of the, the ring and you're going, okay, I just fall? How does this work? And you you trust that that, that wind is going to keep you up. I guess you trust also that there's not going to be an electrical failure and you're going to fall. But (laughs) you lay down. And that's how it is for Christians. You place your full weight of your eternal existence upon Christ, the finished work of Christ upon the cross. And praise God what he that Jesus rose from the dead, what he says is true. That I am redeemed, forgiven, and set free. All my sins are gone from the east is to the west. They are paid in full. You know, it's pretty uncommon. It's pretty common, um, and I'm gonna address this from an apologetic standpoint, but it's pretty common for some people to dismiss Christians as inconsistent. They say Christians follow some rules in the Bible and ignore others. They say something to the fact that when it comes to sexual immorality, you say that this is wrong, but eating a cheeseburger or having shellfish is fine because the Old Testament prohibits that. You may not know that, but it does. Meat and cheese together doesn't work in the Old Testament law. Shellfish, no go. So I'm going to address that issue. 
So you cannot sidestep the issue with your friend who says, well, I'm not a Christian. You guys pick and choose what you want to obey. Calvin, one of the reformers, saw the New Testament, treats the Old Testament laws in three ways. Civil, ceremonial, and moral. The civil governed the nation of Israel as a nation. Ceremonial dealt with the clean and unclean things, including the temple practices and sacrifices and the moral law, which we would see included as the Ten Commandments. And these laws, these 613 laws, blended together as Israel was in the unique place in history as both a nation and a worshiping community. You see, the civil laws which governed the people as a nation are helpful for us as Christians. Some, some point in time, I'll, I'll preach through Leviticus, um, but right now, not so much. But uh, they're helpful. You want to read these. These are helpful because they're principles God has established as good and helpful in dealing with public health and the poor. But Jesus fulfilled these laws and he set up his church, which is not a nation. His church is a worship community. We are no longer the nation state of Israel. We are the body of Christ. And the ceremonial laws, these illustrate God's holiness, man's unholiness, his uncleanliness. And this sacrificial system showed the need for man's atonement for sin. The gap between the righteous and holy God and sinful humanity. The book of Hebrews tells us that the sacrifices were all fulfilled in Jesus perfect life and death. There is no more need for sacrifices because the ultimate and pure and perfect sacrifice was Jesus on the cross. That's why we do not perform the Old Testament law when it, which includes sacrifices. These sacrifices pointed to the coming of Jesus as he is the perfect lamb of God that was slain for us. But he has fulfilled that as well. The third type of the law is the moral law. Jesus kept and fulfilled these perfectly as well. He called us to live lives to the glory of God as well. And God's moral law. It determines right and wrong, good and evil. And this reflects God's character because God does not change. Therefore, his moral law does not change. What is right and what is wrong in the Old Testament is right and wrong in the New Testament according to his moral law. Yet we obey God's moral laws not because it is the law, but because we love God and he has given us a new heart, one that loves him and wants to obey And this is where grace shines through. Knowing what God has given to us by his grace brings us to obedience. So eating your shrimp without guilt, you can do that. But also loving God and loving people is what 
God still desires for his people. Verse 12. So now you can tell your friends why you don't obey the ceremonial laws and you can eat cheeseburgers. Verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James, this is James who is a half-brother of Jesus. Can you think of and this this? This is one of the reasons why we know Jesus resurrects from the dead. Can you ever think of a time where an older brother, uh, the younger brother wants to follow the older brother, right? Uh, And believes that he is the son of God and is willing to give up his life to death for his older brother? I sure can't. So we know that this is true. Um, James, who is actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem, stands up and he says, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, who's Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. This is our last point this morning, and it's thus. Live peaceably in God's church. James places no burden upon the Gentiles. Verse 28 says, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. He, however, does ask them to remember those that are Jews. Those whom he will be worshiping, the Gentiles will be worshiping with. Those who will have fellowship with the church, the Gentiles, the outsiders. And he gives him a list here. And he tells them, even though you have freedom in Christ, to not exercise some of your freedoms for love for your brother. This is where you get the thought of living peaceably in God's church. Abstain from things, from polluted idols, sexual immorality, which is part of the moral laws. It does not change. So that that would make sense. And from things strangled and blood, a very offensive way to Jews of eating meat. the worst possible thing that you could do with a Muslim is sit down and go, here's your pork, right? Why would you do that? That's not helpful for anyone. Sometimes we have to lay down our rights for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way as we do to reach people who do not know 
Christ. You see, this could have been a very difficult situation. We could have two separate churches. We could have one church Jew, one church Gentile. But in Jerusalem here, they came together to be one church under Christ. The wall of hostility has come down. The spirit of the living God now lives in Jew and Gentile. The Lord is glorified and the church is encouraged. Look at Look at the end here. Verse 31, after they had read the letter, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Focus on Christ. Focus on the gospel of Christ. Walk in freedom in the Holy Spirit. You see, there will be times in which Christians should abstain from certain liberties in order to maintain peaceful social interactions with others. Christians will sometimes limit their liberty out of love for their brother and sister. You can read Romans chapter 14. It talks about this completely. But this is a joyful display of unity among very different people. And this is what the church ought to display to the world. Very different people from very different backgrounds coming together to display the love they have for Jesus. The gospel of Christ and their salvation. It is amazing to me when we as the church can come together around Christ and the word of God in unity around the mission and love of God. That's what I believe God is doing here at Northwest. That's what I believe he's doing in my heart. That's what I believe he's doing in our staff's heart to be a people who are unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be a church that does not place stumbling blocks in the path of the gospel. May we be a church in which is led by the grace of God. May we be a church that loves one another by living peaceably in God's church for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth, the freedom that we have in the spirit of the living God. We know that all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. May we have wisdom to live according to your word and for your glory. May we be reminded of the grace of God and walk in that grace as people of God who desire to worship the great God of heaven. Father, may our worship of you, may our works come from a desire of God himself. A worship of God himself. Father, we we are a people who hear this passage And we want to be a people who are focused upon the grace of God. 
Help us have grace for one another. Help us to love as you have loved us. In Jesus' name.